Hey Phil. Hey Laurie. Welcome listeners to See for Betty Bros, season three, episode seven. It's a delight and a privilege to be with you yet again. As as per. Yes, exactly, Phil. We've got two are we just doing two new films this week? We're gonna be doing Black Panther, which is a very big film, and The Shape of Water, which is a very big film as well. Yeah, also huge thirteen Oscar nominations for that one. I've seen Ladybird, but are you going to allow me to talk about it or not? Uh let's see how we do with time. I think that's a good way of judging Mm. it. We'll see how the timing goes and if the like it starts getting bloated, maybe we'll save it for your podcast oh which hasn't launched yet sorry about that if anyone's been feverishly searching for don't take my word for it all the waiting is only going to make the reveal the sweeter trust me on that <laughs> that's <laughs> a very right. pithy phrase uh yeah exactly uh, i've got a little well picture perfect for us listeners i'm not even going to tell you where the what the film is uh, at this point because i think it was a surprise to me as well uh, but just in case you haven't come across that feature picture perfect is a moment within a film that is kind of perfectly realized and you just love it whenever you see it we've got your email and tweets towards the end of the episode thanks very much for sending those in send in yours to superbellybros at gmail.com at superbellybros on twitter and what we've been watching which this week is what phil i'm going to be doing logan lucky one from steven soderbergh kind of Ocean's Eleven in uh, the countryside. That's right, Ocean Seven Eleven, as I say in the film. Mm, and what have you seen, Laurie? I am going to review Definitely, Comma Maybe, starring Ryan Reynolds. A little bit of a rom-com. Yeah, kind of. Dude and I watched it recently. Strange film, that one, but we'll come to that later. Emails at the end, and thank you very much to those on Patreon.com who support us. Patreon.com forward slash Bros. Really, really means a lot. I see the email saying that Laurie's getting that money, monetary support, <laughs> making it sure the lights stay on in the Super Baby Bros house. You know, it just helps with the expenses of running the show, which, you know, they're there. They're not huge, but they're there. So uh, support is really, really, really appreciated. Phil, I realised what we have failed to prepare at this point is the rewards, which we really should be ready for. Yeah, we really should be. Uh, can we do it next time no because it's two weeks hence isn't it so i think we need to do it uh let's do it in between uh film reviews how about that we'll just run through last year's categories and then we'll suggest or open it up to new categories give us some noms for all that sort of stuff as well i think the quicker we get people just voting for the films the better in this case yeah yeah yeah. listen out for that but phil before we actually kick off the show i thought we should start with something kind of special oh we had a, a listener called Alison tweet us at Super Belly Rose. You might enjoy this week's Desert Island Discs, which features Christopher Nolan. Oh, <laughs> friend of the show! I say friend of the show. He, <laughs> does, he doesn't know he's a friend of the show, but he's off to talk. Frenemy about. of the show <laughs> like. uh, over at Super Belly Rose HQ. And uh, I thought, Phil, we should, with our intimate knowledge of his films and his music, especially his music choices. This is a podcast that has focused a lot on his partnership with Hans Zimmer. Maybe you wanted to guess. The kind of uh, music that he's chosen before we read out what he's actually chosen. Mm, well, I think I've got three ideas. I've been thinking about it because you told me about this this morning, in fact. And uh, I was trying to imagine what he would say, Chris and Owen say. And I reckon one of the things might be like, uh, well, yeah, I was... Uh, I, well, it's funny. I was inspired by this uh, to to make Interstellar. I thought it was just revolutionary and... What what a what a soundtrack as well. So mm. here's here's my first disc. This is the Star Trek theme. The Star Trek theme. Which one though? Composed by who? Ooh. Oh really? The original. 
because no. he's all old school. He loves the sixties. No, he wouldn't, man. He's <laughs> retro. He goes right back to the roots. You know, Christopher Nolan. He ain't. He's he ain't not, no man. shallow fan. He's going to the deep cuts. I completely disagree with you. And actually, the, the superior Star Trek theme is the one from Star Trek: The Motion Picture, which was composed by Jerry Goldsmith, which then got sped up to be the Star Trek Next Generation theme. Ah. So you know, da, 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 da. I love that theme. What a theme song! It's I'm assuming you're going to play a little bit of a snippet behind our little chat chat. Or else I'll see if we be... can. I, I do get nervous about the copyright, as uh, regular listeners will know. But we'll see what we can manage. So uh, that's pick number one, Chris. What's next? Uh, next up, well, uh, you know, a lot of my films I like to deal with uh, memory and dreams, mm-hmm. and um, mm. and this this song just really uh, encapsulates all of that, really. And um, so, and it was a great track, a lot of energy, and just sort of ride that rhythm, and the tensions constantly rising. Mm. So this yeah. is uh, Evanescence, wake me up, <laughs> wake me up inside. <laughs> How does the rest of that one go? Save me. That's a terrible song. <laughs> I bet he would love that. Actually, now you're on the right wavelengths there, Phil, because it's sort of the same sort of lack of subtlety, in my opinion, uh, musicality and emotion. That's kind of yeah. yeah. And uh, then that's that's disc. Uh, if you could hurry up, we'll disc two, and then disc. last last of all, yeah. this is uh, this is like last disc, and um, you know, uh, I really like impactful sounds, and oh. that's what Hans and I really try and work on is mm. really distinctive uh, emotive sounds. It's about the emotion of the film and not, not necessarily the melody. So my last track uh, on Desert Island Disc is the uh, internet startup sound. <laughs> the internet? <laughs> that one? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's uh, not Lots been in the public bois. eye for years. Was you know, he was the, the founder of the bois, so, you know, yes. and I think he drew <laughs> deep inspiration. <laughs> yeah, man. <laughs> good sound. That's a good sound. You've taken this a lot more sort of seriously and intellectually. Oh, <laughs> I'm not sure Evanescence I think you have. and the internet startup bongs count as intellectual. Well, but... I'm only going to seem even sillier by comparison. Well, not even sillier. But like I've said, number one, uh, definitely he would love Ludovico Einaudi, um, whatever the popular one is. That piano from, one. From the, the greatest, which from greatest hits. Yeah, that's the kind of, that's, I think, <laughs> Nothing wrong mind, with a bit of piano, my friend. Yeah, but that's the kind of level he'd go to. And for I think for Christopher Nolan, that would say it all. That would, uh, <laughs> appropriate for any occasion. A tennis match, why not? Yeah. <laughs> uh, number two, I think he'd have, I honestly don't know why I put this here, Phil, but it came into my head. Yamo Be There by James Ingram and Michael McDonald. Have you ever heard that song? Nah. Yamo Be There. Up and over. Have you never heard that song? No. Why it's would just, why would Chris it's so unbelievably? Have it. I'm gonna to have to play it for you. It's so soulful. Can you not like? I, to be honest, probably the main reason I, I just popped into my head and the idea of uh, Christopher Nolan's floppy centipatic, like headbagging to Yamo be there because that's sort of floppy that's cursions. his genre, man. <laughs> I can just imagine because Michael McDonald like is not what you expected to look like at all, and he and Christopher Nolan would get on very well. I think <laughs> the passion in that song uh-huh. uh, matches anything in Nolan's films. And the last one, um, Enya. The Memory of Trees album with her hit special Anywhere Is. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, do you know? Do you like Enya, Phil? Uh, yeah, I remember you liked Enya. So this is partly before you turn the, the figure on Christopher Nolan, I think I think I remember you having Enya. I did. The I album. had this exact album. I listened to it in a school assembly, and I thought it was the most moving. Uh, I, 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 no, 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 no. That's not. Uh, you've got it. Anywhere Is, Phil. It's uh, the reason that this song is. Uh, it really got me. It made me feel very emotional at the time. And again, I feel Christopher Nolan. That's the kind of level he's operating at. He's deep and emotional. If there's a song that will make a nine-year-old think, wow, this is the most beautiful song I've ever heard, that's the angle to go for, I think, yeah. She's got lyrics like, in motion on the ocean, the moon still keeps on moving, the waves still keep on waving, and I still keep on going. That's deep, Phil. That's Enya. That's as deep as Interstellar, anything in Interstellar, I'm telling you. I'm lampooning him and everything, but I like his films. I always enjoy his films. So there you go. Poor him, he didn't get a back. What did he actually pick? Uh, Oh, yeah. 
Well, I mean, I haven't actually listened to the item, but I'm going by what Radio 4 is listing as his choices. Top is Hans Zimmer, Journey to the Line, <laughs> from the Thin Red Line, original motion picture soundtrack, very good. Radiohead, Paranoid Android, OK Computer. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, Franz Schubert, Phil, a classical uh, musician. Van Gelis, Five Circles. David Bowie, Loving the Alien. David Dundas, Marwood Walks, John Barry, John Barry Ski Chase. Oh, right. Yeah, yeah. From James Bond, of course. Oh, yeah. And, uh, he loves James Bond. Well, I got close with the Ludovico Ainaudi because he's got Philip Glass here, Phil. He's the, is he the piano the man? enfant terrible of classical music. Well, not classical, modern music, mate. Yeah. All right. Well, this feature went on longer than I thought. And yours was definitely funnier than mine, annoyingly, because you spent way less time on it as well. Let's get going. Let's go. <laughs> Black Panther. How do you feel about this film? Were you excited? Were you hyped? I was super, super, super excited for this film. I really loved the trailer. The revolution will not be televised. You might mm. hear it. That, if Bill you could Scott play Heron. that one, that'd be good. Uh, well, yeah, I thought that was a weird choice. Actually. I liked it. I thought it was interesting, cool, and a bit quirky compared to the other Marvel superhero characters. I thought, oh, it's going to have a different vibe, different feel. I, I like Black Panther from Captain America 3, Civil War. I thought he was, was interesting. Civil War or the Winter Soldier? I think it was Civil War, wasn't it? It was Civil War, yeah. yeah, yeah so yeah. he was in there running and fighting in the airport. I thought he was interesting and cool. They really shot his fights well and he seemed powerful and interesting um and so I, I and i heard so much good stuff about this film i've heard michael b jordan in it he plays eric killmonger he was going to be great i've heard great things about him uh of course it's become famous across the world as being one of the biggest all black casts you could get or predominantly black casts you could get for a major motion picture and um, it seems to be ticking all the boxes. So I, was, I went in really with quite high expectations, I have to admit. That's good. You know, and I picked up a bit of the hype train as well, unusually, because I tend to try and stay away from that stuff for films. But the, the one or the story that really jumped out at me, Phil, was a really cool one, actually. So there was a guy who set up a GoFundMe account to raise money so that on the release of this film, there could be spaces given over to underprivileged kids, basically, who mm-hmm. wanted to go and see the film. And that cause was kind of taken up by celebrities as well. I believe Octavia Spencer herself, I think it was, uh, booked out an entire cinema uh, so that she could get kids from ethnic minorities in you know poor neighbourhoods and things to come into the cinema because people are so excited to have such positive role models and like such African culture in totally in the mainstream in Marvel. And celebrated, and yeah. yeah. Exactly, and with a positive image and it's not just the same thing because the, there were some people making comments in the media, like often black culture, especially in America, comes associated or has become associated with things like, I don't know, poverty or, or crime or whatever, whether it's Black Lives Matter, which is a positive movement, but it nevertheless is associated with, you know, Everything's all that kind of Everything's sort stuff. of tangled up in a yeah, lot of race politics. Very yeah. messy, whereas this is purely fantastical positivity. And so I think, listeners, just in case you are not that bothered about the hype or whatever it is, I do actually think this is unique immediately and really, really positive and genuinely feels like a milestone to me. And I, I think especially as we're not Americans, I feel like this might be even more in America. Would you agree with that, Phil? Yeah, definitely. I think in America, race relations are much more complicated. Yeah. And because America is such a big country, states vary so much. Uh, Cultural attitudes are really... There's a lot of tension, way more than I think there would be in the UK. But I'm not saying it doesn't happen in the UK. No, no, of course not. But I think it's just a really interesting cultural event. It's a big deal, I think, uh, for black Americans, basically. A really big deal. Well, there we go. Right, so should we do a plot thing? Or should we just let the trailer do its job? I, yeah, I think so, and I think we'll cover it after the trailer. So here's the trailer for Black Panther. I have seen gods fly. I've seen men build weapons that I couldn't even imagine. Uh-huh. I've seen aliens drop 
from the sky. Yeah. But I have never seen anything like this. How much more are you hiding? Hola. Let's go, go, go. My son, it is your time. Show me my respect and bow down. You get to decide what kind of king you are going to be. Don't freeze. I never freeze. I waited my entire life for this. The world's gonna start over. I'ma burn it all. What happens now determines what happens to the rest of the world. What's going on forever? The revolution will not be televised. Let's have some fun. The revolution. We'll be live. Yeah. <laughs> you I love the groove freeze. there, man. You, just, I love you the groove. said that phrase. I love that groove. I love that groove. It's great at the end. I like that. It's funky and cool. And I was, yeah. I, that, that was the sort of, that sort of like bit was making me hype because it was going to be like, it was going to be, I, I, I couldn't see how they could do this movie the way they were doing it and it'd be anything like uh, the other Marvel movies that have gone yeah, before. Right. Um, do we do the plot? Because I yeah, don't think that's very plot. So you it? said you struggled with this. So I'm going to have a go at trying to do you the hit plot. Hit me with it, brother. You can do this. Okay, T'Challa is the uh, recent king of Wakanda, a fictional country made up in the heart of Africa. And Wakanda, is to the outside world, is presented as this impoverished nation, uh, not very important, but still going. And actually behind the scenes, it is a hyper-teched super nation with uh, super technology. It has uh, the effects of a a meteorite comes down, filled with vibranium, another made-up metal. And this gives the country of Wakanda, uh, amazing wealth, amazing technology, amazing privilege, and they hide it all from the rest of the world. And right at the centre of this is the Black Panther hero. And it's not just one person, it's in fact a generational thing. The king of Wakanda, the person who united Wakanda, used this vibranium stuff to make himself a hero, make himself strong and powerful. Enter Chadwick Boseman as T'Challa. I think it's how, that's how you say it. T'Challa, yeah. And he has just become the new king of Wakanda. During the events of Marvel Civil War, uh, his father is killed and he has to become the new king and lead his people. And seemingly everything is going great, but gradually the pressure is mounting to whether or not they should help the people around the world with their technology, whether or not they should let people know what's really going on with Wakanda. And uh, then you've got the fact that the Black Panther is having to deal with the fact that maybe the past people who were him, who were the hero of Wakanda, they're not actually as clean as he thought they were. And maybe there's going to be somebody from his past or some sort of distant link to him who's going to force himself into the world of Wakanda. Very good, Phil. I mean, that's pretty good going. I'm, I'm impressed by that. I think that was only a couple of minutes. I always struggle because on the radio, you're going to be fast. And That was a lot of stuff, actually. I yeah, realise yeah, now yeah, that there's yeah. a lot of plot going on. And the on. thing is that it's quite intertwining. And uh, for me, listeners, the thing that jumps out from that and the thing that I thought was most interesting in the film itself is that's an unusual relationship uh, to have in the film, a country that is trying to stay hidden and doesn't really want to share its wealth with the rest of the world, even though, as 
characters in the film constantly say, they are in a position to massively change and help Africa, where there's corruption and poverty everywhere. But they don't want to do that in Wakanda. They seem to want to retain it because they're worried that... In fact, what's the reason they give? Or uh, that- basically, the vibra- vibranium, the key thing which yeah. is making their country great... They think that as soon as people realise that's what's causing it all, they will be uh, encroached upon, they will be taken away from them, and basically the world can't be trusted with this power, the power that gives uh, the Black Panther strength, but speed, Daniel technology. Daniel uh, Wakabi, who has got a herd of rhinos, listeners, he's like the chieftain of the troops, isn't he? He's the border Wakanda. patrol, basically. That's he protects it, yeah. the, the, the nation from That guy has outsiders. got such a, what's up, man? Look, like, uh, do you know what I mean about his uh, his expressions? He's, he's sort of apathetic cool, isn't Yeah, it? he's got so much charisma. Well played on the BAFTA as well, Daniel Kalia. He's going to just be flying, I think. Mm, he was really on. good in Get Out. Exactly, right, right, right. Uh, but he's saying, no, once pe- once other people come in, it's going to mess with what we've got. It's going to change our country. It's going to change our way of life. I thought that, that's what, kind of what I liked. It's a kind of mix it was, of everything. It was very mixed and it wasn't afraid to portray Wakanda as actually maybe this place needs to change a bit and it's not perfect it's very you know sophisticated technologically but it's not a dreamland it's nothing like that it's still ordinary people doing ordinary things um listeners I think this is a really really wonderful film in a lot of ways I was impressed by it. it's directed by Ryan Coogler he did Creed Phil and Fruitvale Station as both well. starring Michael B. Jordan who exactly. plays the villain in this piece yeah. and he's called what's he called again Eric uh, Killmonger Kim- Killmonger that's right yeah 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 and there's a big backstory with him listening he's an interesting character in this written by Joe Robert Cole who's not done an awful lot Uh, and I thought all the best things about it were the things that felt unfamiliar and the things that focused on Wakanda's culture and the sort of amazing technology and the, the the infrastructure of Wakanda. In some ways, I could have done with even more of that because we tend to get slightly abstracted things of like the trains descending into the vibranium mines. We get that one shot of the street that's in the valley that kind mm. of feels like a scene out of Fifth Element. And we get the lab, his sister's lab. Uh, but then there's also the really wonderful scene with all the tribes uh, sending their representatives when he's trying to become king and he has to accept a challenge if anyone else wants to be king in his place. All of that stuff was working really, really, really well for me and I thought it was very... Kind of, it gave a lot of space to all the elements so it didn't feel rushed and it didn't feel like I was getting an overview. It felt like I was really learning about this place. But then I kind of felt that the other elements of the story weren't that well handled, Phil, to be perfectly honest with you. Uh, I kind of agree. I think the staging of this film is very good. I like the characters there. I like the pieces that they set up. I don't really like how they executed it. I don't think it was really as tight and robust as it should have been. I think it takes a long time for the real antagonist to emerge that's going to drive the plot and cause uh, Black Panther to really deal with yeah deal with the situation he's in it's kind of they're building up building up building up and eventually he starts having to confront the challenges of being a king well on the way there they play with other formats like they almost in fact i believe some of the cast talked about it saying it's going to be like a james bondy thing where um is it augustus claw uh, andy circus's character uh something like name. that his name's claw he was in um uh, avengers War. of infinity oh that's uh, right ultron age, uh, ultron. age of ultron that's and right. he he lost the hand he was talking about the nation of Wakanda. In this, he's back as uh, he's trying to find more vibranium and he's got like a kind of cannon and as an arm. Yeah. And he, he sort of is a mini villain. Well, they he? set him up as the main antagonist and stuff, but actually he doesn't really work that way. And it didn't, incidentally, when he was there, didn't you think there was a brilliant reunion between Bilbo and Gollum? I didn't think about that Did at all. Not? Didn't oh, even Martin enter my mind. Martin Freeman is a CIA agent and then him and Gollum are staring at each other again. I thought that was brilliant. <laughs> uh, but 
all that stuff it didn't necessarily yeah as you say give a clear villain it didn't give a clear story and it slightly muddied the waters a little bit and then it became a rush and i felt the particular casualty of that was chadwick boseman's character and i think you disagree with me on this but i didn't find the black panther himself to be that compelling a character if anything i thought almost everyone else around him was more interesting and had more drive because the only thing that's really you know part of him in in this story anyway is what happened to his father no, but I think I think I disagree with you there because there's that moment where having done through the Black Panther ritual where he gets his strength and the powers, herb, he yeah. then is buried underneath some sort of orange soil and he goes to the spirit plane or whatever. Which I have to admit to you listeners, I don't know whether I'm just remembering this wrong, but instantly reminded me of the Lion King. Him talking to Mufasa, That particular yeah. tree uh, yeah. just looks exactly like the tree that Rafiki's on. But I there, thought yeah. that little scene where he's confronted, he speaks to his father and that moment where he's he's nervous about taking on the mantle of the Black Panther and being the king, leading these people, um, I thought was interesting. And then having that moment again later on in the film, I, th- I think it drives up some interesting things. I, and I think I didn't feel like I got to, I was getting to know him. I felt like I, th- I was getting to understand his situation, but not him because all the other characters, like his uh, ex-girlfriend, uh, played by Lupita Nyong'o, is that Okoye? I think was her name in the yeah. film. She's she's kind of more interesting because you want to know what the backstory was there. And his sister, played by Letitia Wright, she's true, you know, yeah. Yeah, she's got all the kind of attitude. And then, uh, what's her name? Uh, Dana Guerrero, who's in The Walking Dead. Is yeah, she? she's, she's Michonne. She's, she's the general of his troops and she's got conflicted things. She's were, quite a comic relief in some ways, yeah. A sort of, not towards the latter half of the film. She but sort just, of mocks him and prods him, doesn't he? Doesn't they, they're all, you feel like you kind of know them better. And partly it's because their characters are shallower. But I, yeah, sorry, maybe I don't know. I don't know. I, got, I always got the sense that he was... Uh, a deeper character he was calm and steady and I liked his performance I liked Chadwick Boseman in the role I thought he yeah, was interesting good. and compelling he held the screen well even though I, I, I think ultimately the writing doesn't give him lots and maybe that's what you're getting at but I think I was interested in his character I was slightly disappointed by the Black Panther um, action yeah I felt like all through the film was wrong I'm it afraid. was um, yeah. annoyingly and this is I don't really know what to make of this I can't tell if it was the cinema or actually the, the cinematography there's one sequence which happens at night which I honestly just couldn't really it's see at the beginning yeah, yeah it's when too. he's uh, trying to rescue um, his ex-girlfriend yeah right and I couldn't really tell what was going on and it didn't feel very suspenseful and, and it didn't feel very cool either the only cool moment was when he threw the, uh, the balls that yeah at the very beginning yeah. and you compare that to Civil War in which he's there in his suit with the most very visible yeah and he He's brilliant. He's really exciting and interesting. And I felt slightly like, oh, how is it that another film, which isn't about him, managed to use him better and make him more interesting? There was another scene later on where they do a fight in a special location. It's between him and the, the main antagonist who does emerge later. That was entirely CGI. I, w- I, couldn't, I didn't understand that. And it they, didn't look very good, did no, it? No, instead of using the actors and their own physicality, which they both take their shirts off, they've got lots of physicality. <laughs> Let me tell you this. Like, I don't understand why they did that because it's really, like you said, it's really obvious that it's a full CGI fight we're watching and the motions aren't good or convincing and the camera angles didn't sell any of the impact or the danger I'd, I was re- I was really disappointed listeners with the action and they have a lot of action set pieces the, the only real bit of action I loved was uh, Danai Guerrero when she gets out her staff at the uh, casino bit and suddenly that was good there's, that about, was there's good. about 20 seconds of choreography that look really great and powerful but that was kind of it even the uh, one-on-one fighting was uh, during the ceremonies and things like that I found that a little bit just lacking choreography and lacking sort of impact, like you were saying. Um, it's a shame because I really liked Mbaku, the uh, uh, the guerrilla tribe leader. He was, I thought he was good, nice and understated. 
Yeah, there was good things in the film, but I I think I was a little bit disappointed. I think maybe I was overhyped. And I think the the real secret weapon of the film is Michael B. Jordan, and they take far oh, too long for him to get into he's the film. Brilliant. He is so cool. He's like, very the way he's introduced. Of charisma, that guy. When he's introduced with his little denim jacket with the fluffy insides the and the tips that you've ever seen, and the cool glasses, you think this guy is so cool. Yeah, and I, I felt I really that. jealous of him. <laughs> <laughs> I wish I could be that cool. And I felt like they kind of take too long for him to really get into into moments with the Black Panther, with that conflict or whatever it is. They just get onto it. Get it was slightly boring, I think, at times. Although there was a nice, there was a particularly nice moment in the throne room when he asked them to ask him a question. I thought that was handled. That well. was a very good moment. And yeah. that's the thing. I think the the ideas in the film are very good. The staging is very good. The world is very interesting, and you want to spend time there. But then this is lacking. When they get to the big climactic moments, it lacks, and I think that's a real shame. But fair credit is absolutely crushing the box office. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't think it's going to be a problem for Marvel no. at all. They invested two hundred million dollars in it, I think, and so I think they probably already business. made it back. Already I made it back. So. I would have um, thought so. You know, final thing for me, Phil, just to add on, and I'm not going to spend a long time on it, but I didn't find it very funny. I'm curious to know about what your thoughts. Well, are Well, you told me uh, before, listeners. Oh, yeah, you told me you liked this line, which honestly made me cringe. Well, this is a granddad moment for me, isn't it? Yeah, there's a moment where uh, T'Challa is walking around his sister's lab. And he, she's telling him about various things and he's asking her questions and she answers a few of them and then she says, but the real question is, what are those? And points at his flip-flops that he's wearing, right? Sandals. Mm. And the joke is, uncool sandals. Or in my head, that was a nice brother and sister moment where she's like, why are you wearing such lame shoes? I've got these awesome shoes for you to wear. And then I explained <laughs> to you that that's a meme. That's a Vine. Well, I didn't Vine isn't that, even mate. Vine isn't even a la- like around anymore. I don't the company's me, closed. I don't get meme I almost, I, I want you to play the actual Vine that it's based on. Oh, really? And then imagine it's like when a movie uses Gangnam Style now. That's what how well, that cringy happened. it that is. That happened in Bridget Jones. Yeah, and it's just. Ugh. And I predict to write in early May. <laughs> it's too old. Okay, listen, Phil has educated me. I understand it because that's a while ago now. But the thing was, if, it was annoying because without the Vine knowledge, I thought that was quite a nice little moment. I it thought just, it was funny. It's just old news. Although it did lead on to something that doesn't make sense because she shows him these cool shoes which you never see again. And they've yeah. got a feature that's never seen again. And actually, that particular scene ends with a, a physical gag where she explains that his suit can absorb kinetic energy and our listeners, I really want to know what your thoughts are here because there were there were things that killed that scene for me and I was really annoyed about it because number one, he kicks a suit and it flies off against the wall. She says, go on, kick it, kick it. And he kicks it and it flies against the wall. And then she says, oh, I did not kick it that hard. And then she explains how it absorbs kinetic energy. Immediately, my mind said, well, if it absorbs it, then why did it fly away? That's not absorbing kinetic energy. That's the kinetic energy is being expounded <laughs> there to make it fly against the wall. Nerd. No, but the thing is... <laughs> no, I'm, just, I'm with you. I feel exactly the same and then, thing. And then I was kind of out of the moment. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, and, yeah. And then, when, and then it starts setting up a joke because she asked him to hit it again. You already know what's coming. But the way that, that the screenplay is done... I just think it, it ruins the joke. It really, the punchline comes in the wrong place. She shouldn't have explained anything. She should have said hit it and he would have been unimpressed because it just goes blue. And then she should have just said well, hit it again. And then when he hits it, he, fly, he flies backwards and then she cracks up because, yeah, yeah. He, you know, that would, have, that would have been funnier. But the way it's handled, it just didn't work. And it was really weird that the scene exists. That was bad editing, I think, And I sadly. think that also leads on to something which I'm slightly nervous about going on future films is actually when he's in the Black Panther suit, 
I don't really like the design of the Black Panther suit. I You're don't like keen. the face uh, mask. I don't think it looks interesting. It looks kind of like a nine-year-old drew something cool. Um, and the whole kinetic absorption thing, Yeah, I think it means that you don't ever feel like he's in peril that much. Well, because um, even bullets and stuff. Right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And it just seems to make him more strong. Uh, like, it's like he's a Terminator rather than rather than a hero who's having to persevere and fight and strive. And so I think there's slight issues there with well, that I idea. Agree. And even from a Chekhov gun point of view, I feel like that's coming up a lot in the podcast recently. The, the setup for that, it, you, it requires a single climax, not really a continual sort of barrage of mini climaxes. Otherwise, the payoff feels weak. And, I, I think and you think it would, it would, I kind of expected it to be the thing which is yeah, brought right. up right at the very end. As a well, kind and of, it makes a difference between him and... Um, or, like, and, yeah. li- and likewise, the shoes, but nothing, nothing. If so there is just a couple of, the more, unfortunately, listeners, it's one where the more you watch it, the more some of the filmmaking's a bit like... Oh, weirdly it just doesn't hit the bar but i can't take away from the fact that it is wonderfully realized i think the design and the feeling from watching this film is great can i uh, nominate a reward right now okay best shrugging best from who from all of them really <laughs> during the ceremony they're doing their oh, little yeah, shrug right. dance oh, oh. and they have the, the yeah, yeah, that's <laughs> it was, true. It was very cool, cool. i was cool. doing that while i was doing the cinema <laughs> and i thought wow they got loads more rhythm than i do like uh, i can't i couldn't get it regular that was a good scene man that anyway my grade for black panther probably would be it's decent but it couldn't it didn't reach great for me so i'm gonna give it a b maybe a b plus I think I'd probably agree with you, Phil. It's a tough thing because as a film, I think it's a B. And I like because, a lot of what it's going for. Because of its for. place in history, which it just has now, it's 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 better than that. It's it's more important and more interesting than that. But I think as a film, it probably is a B. It's a shame. You know, even his spaceship, I thought the way it flew just looked wrong, basically. But yeah, uh, listeners, yeah. I'm sure you'll go see it. Let us know what you thought. If you disagree with us, do let us know. We'd love to hear uh, all different views. So email us in superbailybros at gmail.com or you can tweet us at superbailybros. <laughs> Okay, here it comes. Rewards categories. Not too much fanfare, listeners, because we've got a big show to go through. But these are the Super Bailey Bros Awards. You know, not the Oscars, not the BAFTAs. Some may say more prestigious than both of those two <laughs> award ceremonies. But these are particularly things, that, you know, awards that you wouldn't really get at those other mainstream things either. It's the way of calling out the hard work that goes on, but it's often underappreciated. That sort of thing. Right, Phil? Mm. And I've got the categories we used last year. And I think, you know, last year we asked you to nominate categories. We've got loads of categories. I'd rather just get films. Are you happy with that? Yeah. Okay, let's do this. Ready? Number one, listeners, please take a note of this. And it is already on the website. I'll update it. It says 20, 2017 rewards. I'll just update it to say 2018. There you go. How's that? <laughs> uh, but here we go. Best franchise film. So that is a new entry in a series that has three or more films. That's correct, isn't it? Or I think two two films is fine. That's a, if it is a franchise, then that's okay, fine. Fine, there we go. Or a trilogy, yeah, that kind of thing. Best British film. We already, I mean, Baftas gave that to three billboards. You might want to reconsider that one. <laughs> I certainly do. Best and worst laugh. <laughs> it's a good point. I don't feel like we've had any of the amazing laughs that we had last time. I'm Marion sure. Cotillard. Yeah, I'm sure some people find. <laughs> I hope so. Uh, worst concept, best execution. So, and you can have the vice versa there. So that is like the worst idea for a film that turned out amazing, or the best idea for a film that, that wasn't was, done well. Yeah, at all. it was done terribly and was really disappointing. Uh, most made fun of actor or actress. So is that just that's Toby Kebbell's award, really? Yeah, wasn't the Toby it? Kebbell award. <laughs> Toby Kebbell Poor Toby scholarship. Kebbell. Uh, Poor Toby. Um, <laughs> it's hard to. He hasn't really been in the public eye much. Hasn't no, he, I wonder year? why. <laughs> destroyed his career. <laughs> I mean, it's not a great year for that because we've had some real misery out of Hollywood. But I think we're talking more actors that just 
can't find a good film they seem to always end up in the turkey or in a yeah, bad role someone who just has had a bad run of luck or it's just not gone well for them this year It'd be quite funny uh best trailer yeah let's have that best acting with nothing there so that might be acting with you know in a cgi film like we had the kid in lying uh, not Lion King, the jungle book didn't we uh or best acting with like a cgi buddy or stuff so thor ragnarok would be in contention there anyone who just has to stare at a tennis ball and in a green screen yeah and i discovered accidentally that mark Wahlberg is actually brilliant at that in the transformers film he actually can nail it it's weird <laughs> it's a really weird so is that skill. a nomination already well, i guess so he's got it it's so strange uh best fake accent nice chris hemsworth will not be winning it most confusing title good one uh, best use of markers highlighters or I think pens we could, and pencils no, I think no, think... that's got to be in there that's a good novelty award it needs to be in there every year because there's always a scene that uses them sometimes that's unnecessarily true. i can't yeah but i can't think of them they're not present in my lion mind last time lion and uh, the accountant ben affleck that's on the right. the glass writing right. i think there might be a hidden gem in there best supporting hair in other words best hair m- yeah best hair uh, you can make a case for it being supporting if you like uh, most noteworthy credits good one best unexpected comedy moments or best lols uh, best lols. I love best lols. I'd love to give someone a best lol award. That's like a comedy award, really, isn't it? Kind of, but we've said unexpected, so I guess it's sort of... Or just not... one moment in the film, which that is really funny. That had you really cracking up a lot. Great. Okay. Best villain. Yes, let's have that. Uh, most poorly chosen music. I guess that's kind of worse soundtrack, isn't it? Uh, best potted plant. <laughs> <laughs> now we've got to have it, Phil. He's giving me the Kurt Kill gesture. But Phil, you, that was even your suggestion, wasn't it? That was because I thought it was... Uh, I could think of one example and then we ended up having like three. And well, exactly. All really good. I think these things Best are fun. Best plant, though. How's that going to play out? Wait and see, I can't Phil. think of anything. I'm wait, nervous. Wait and see. And then the Lifetime Award... Oh, yeah. Well, last year it was most hated movie of all time. So we need to come up with another Lifetime Award. What about if we had it be, uh, rather than Lifetime, worst film... Uh, I'm definitely going to see that because of that person. Yes, that's award. not much more pithy, Phil. Do you want well, to I know. Well, because <laughs> you, know. you, you even gave me a better one off air just now. Let's keep it a lifetime achievement award. Said I'm definitely seeing that, but in this case, it's for the director or anyone, a screenwriter, an actor, somebody, something that means whatever, that's whatever a guaranteed they're in, appointment to you, you. You will just have to Your see it. Your seat is booked. I mean, yeah. that's Star Wars, isn't it? I think, but like, no, that's not a that franchise. Kind of that's not the uh, that doesn't count. No, it's like a, it's a it's a person involved in the film okay stars as well or not yeah so and it could be an actor it could be a director it could be a screenwriter it could be even a cinematographer like roger deakins or okay something. got it got it so got yeah so they're in it I, or yeah we'll, we'll figure out a pithy thing <laughs> okay listeners those are the rewards categories so what we'd love to hear from you are nominations by email by tweet whatever send them in for any and all of those categories and we'll build up a list and we'll repeat these and sort of just remind you of it over the, over the coming weeks and we'll give it plenty of time to get a good number right yeah the Shape of Water is a 1920s style movie. Is it actually? I don't know. I think it might be 1950s, okay. but it's just trying to do the classic weird film. Phil is providing me with what he, you know, is hypothesizing the Shape of Water to be. It's sort of wiggly arms. arms. <laughs> Wiggling arms, yeah. yeah. This is uh, Guillermo del Toro. Are you a fan of his? Yeah, I was going to intro this particular thing by saying, have you seen Pan's Labyrinth, Phil? I have seen Pan's Labyrinth. Did you like it? Yes and no. Really? I've heard someone say it features the most upsetting violence ever recorded on film. Yeah, fair. Do you think so? Yeah, have you seen it? No, I haven't. I, I've slightly been put off it. I thought it might freak me out. Guillermo, I'm going to mess his name up so many times, sorry listeners. Guillermo, Guillermo del, del Toro, Toro mm-hmm. is one of the best visual filmmakers, I I think, ever. Most distinctive, His films certainly. always have 
wonderful character and charm and they're shot in a very unique way. I think he is so distinctive in his visual aesthetic and Pan's Labyrinth is a really great example of the the creatures, the monsters, the makeup. And the fairy tale thing. He everything loves the magic that he, Yeah, and, it's, and it's sort of his whole filmography is like a, a separate world that is only his. Yeah, I mean, and certainly this film is no exception. You'd agree with that, I take it. Yeah, it's a very distinctively Guillermo del Toro film. It's getting a huge amount of attention, listeners. A lot of people think it should be up for best film, and it certainly is. It's got 13 Oscar nominations, which is kind of ridiculous, I think. Uh, in my opinion, anyway, we'll come on to that later. But there's a huge amount of attention. It stars Sally Hawkins. She was in Paddington 2 as uh, the Mrs. Brown mum, wasn't she? And in this, she plays a mute lady, a cleaning lady for a, a kind of auspicious company. Eliza Esposito. Yeah, that's right. And well, no, they're not. It's a, is it a company? I thought it was a government research lab. It's sort of in between, isn't it? And you don't also, really know. Yeah, set in 1960s America, Cold War stuff. So there's they're all trying to get ahead in the space oh, race. Oh, it's 1960s. Yeah, that makes yeah, sense. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I thought it was 50s or 20s. Like, I couldn't quite pick Place no, no, decade. it's all Cold War and stuff. That's why there are you know Russians in the film, and okay. and they're and they're really working hard to do research that will help them make scientific leaps and things. And the, the main deal is that one day she's a cleaning lady with Octavia Spencer as well. Uh, they're cleaning out a tank in a room, and they're there when its occupant arrives, which turns out to be an amphibious man in a tank. Not exactly a merman, is he? More just a sort of. It's a bit like uh, an aquafibian out. I think it's literally based on the monster from... Creature uh, of the Black Lagoon. Yeah, it's literally inspired by that and it's kind of taking that love of that sort of movie monster genre... Uh, Guillermo del Toro did Pacific Rim which is all about those giant yes. monsters and robots and- yeah yeah well you know he actually pitched a remake of The Black Lagoon and was not successful and his pitch was how about we do The Creature from the Black Lagoon but there's a romance <laughs> between the monster which you think is lady. absolutely baffling but yes yes you do and you might continue to feel that way <laughs> let's wait and see shall we play the trailer Laurie uh, yeah let's do it if I told you about her the princess without voice what would I say Clean that lab, you get out. This may very well be the most sensitive asset ever to be housed in this facility. You may think that thing looks human, stands on two legs, right? But we're created in the Lord's image. You don't think that's what the Lord looks like, do you? This creature is intelligent, capable of language, of understanding emotions. looks at me he doesn't know how i am incomplete he sees me as i am the natives in the amazon worshiped it like a god get him out what are you talking about no we need to take it apart learn how it works i don't want an intricate beautiful thing destroyed we can do nothing. I'm sorry. Don't do this, Eliza. What is she saying? Don't do this. Oh, God, it's not even human. 
if I told you about her? What would I say? I wonder. Listeners, if you heard a man there um, talking about some of, the, some of the lines might not have matched what you might have expected, that was in fact uh, Richard Jenkins, who plays a friend of Eliza, interpreting her sign language and speaking for her. Oh, so sorry, just to yeah, put some yeah, context yeah, well there, because Laurie's looking at the screen and he understands perfectly. Mm-hmm. And me listening, I'm like, hmm, maybe the <laughs> listeners need to hear that. Now, listeners, I think I'll come straight out and say this one. I think if this had been released without any hype and not particularly in Oscar contention, I suspect it would have been overlooked by a vast majority of the cinema going public. And I think a lot of the praise uh, is being heaped on it because it's got so much buzz about it. But I don't think that detracts from the quality of the film. I just don't think it's very mainstream film at all. I was absolutely astonished by the achievement genuinely in the directing and the cinematography specifically. Um, it's even more so when you know that this is a $20 million budget film, which is crazy. It looks, looks absolutely it? perfect. Like the production design is, is sort of unbelievable. Like it's got so much contrast in the sets and the design and the lighting and just the art of it that it feels like they must have hired a fleet of artistic designers and spent hundreds of millions of dollars on it. But they didn't. It just they just got it right really fast, brilliantly. And I think a huge amount of that credit has to go to Guillermo del Toro, who just knows what he wants. And he is an artistic director. He knows when it's right. He knows where to set the limits. And he and knows, he knows how what to drive. he wants, doesn't yeah, he? he? knows how to drive his team to achieve it. In a, that is, I mean, it's hard to really explain it. I think that is, don't you agree with me? That is just remarkable. Uh, because the, the Aquatic Man, you'll see in some of the trailers, that's better CGI, or would appear to be better CGI than in Black Panther, which is a $200 million budget film. I think... Ten times the amount. And it's a mix. Is that what you were going to say? Yeah, I was going to say, like, I think he, well, he's done this sort of character before, Abe Sapien in the Hellboy movies. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which is played by Doug Jones Doug as Jones. well, his yeah. longtime collaborate, collaborator. Listeners, you might have seen Doug Jones's work uh, outside of uh, Del Toro's films. Star Trek Discovery? Stop taking all my lives, man. <laughs> yeah, he plays Saru, Lieutenant Saru, the really tall, gangly Calpian. And uh, he's brilliant in the Star Trek Discovery. I don't know if you've seen the show. I haven't. Uh, really. He's got a wonderfully elongated body and he's very slender and his movements are, are wonderful. And he, he brings all that to this uh, aquafibian man. He does, that's right. And he wears the suit, but the CGI team just embellished it with such a light touch so that it, it lives and breathes. And it feels interacts. organic, doesn't it? Yeah, and you know his gills and flaps and everything else. <laughs> flaps. <laughs> I don't know what to call them. They engage emotionally somehow with the scenes and everything else. It's very, very, very impressive. And the music is wonderful as well. As you said, Phil, from Alexandre Desplat, he's a total veteran, that guy. Uh, but the thing is, Phil... If the central conceit of this film is, wow, I can't believe that I believe a romance between this fish man and this woman, I didn't believe it. Uh, I, I don't I think that's... I that's don't, what people talk about. That, well, I think they're wrong to talk about that because I don't think that really is what the film is about. It might be what he was trying to do, but I think it's a fairy tale. It's, it's, it's one of these films which I think almost you can imagine the book that preceded it. And, yeah, exactly. I and I think it would work brilliantly as a book. And so I kind of said, okay, it is a bit strange and there's some bits which I don't really like and I'm not buying it kind of in a in a pure love story sense, but I'm going to buy the idea of the film and go along with it. And well, I had a great I, time. I completely agree with you on that. I think if you do go in thinking it's a fairy tale, so everything about it is strange, it's much more satisfying. So, well, I'm glad you feel that way, but a lot of people do think it's romantic. I didn't find it romantic at all. Yeah, I don't think it's romantic. I think it's charming. That's the mm. word I would use, charming. And it's a nice world to be in and with interesting characters. It's, there's uh, tension in the film, I think. It is interesting because if the music wasn't the way the music is, I don't think it would be that charming either. 
either. I think it would be more nightmarish. But but the music insists to you that this is whimsical. And do you not think Sally Hawkins' performance makes it? Yes what it and is? no. But I think I really do. It'd be fascinating to see a cut that takes out some music because she, yeah, her performance feeds the whimsy. But if you recontextualize it and took that away, I think it would feel a lot colder and harder. And part of her character is that she does over emote and express because she can't use her words and things and she communicates very physically and visually doesn't she even though Mm. she is quite a withdrawn person too she's perfect for it she does a brilliant brilliant job don't think she deserves the best actor uh, oscar though personally no i think it's it's one of those weird things is it acting if you're not having to say that much in my head i was thinking about what you talk about with the artist which is where it almost doesn't seem fair because it's not a direct comparison is it it's not like for like and not in this case anyway, but it's still But a I think she carries the movie very well. You engage with her and you buy into her whatever, even if you don't think it's, you don't buy into the romance of it in the conventional sense. I yeah. think you do buy into the the world and the fact that the but, story is man, happening. As, as with a lot of these films, I almost thought it was an ensemble cast really because I thought the supporting players here were almost more important because they ground the whole world that she's in. I thought uh, Michael Stuhlberg, is that his name? Yeah, he plays the, uh, the scientist. scientist. He's fantastic. He He's really so good. He plays a character that is you never really quite can pin down and I think that makes the film so much more interesting and tense than And it he could reacts be. very naturally to everything that's going on around him so that you believe these people might actually be like that i also think michael shannon is excellent yeah he's fantastic a, t- and a bad guy but an odd bad guy octavia spencer i really liked and, and sometimes i don't really like octavia spencer because she just seems the same but she didn't seem the same in this I, I really quite liked her i thought i believed her interactions with sally hawkins and i believed that they were friends and i thought the subtleties from the direction very efficient where they show her just talking all day <laughs> and mm. every moment she's just talking and that defines their friendship and she sticks up for her as well. I thought that was great and a nice little character moment. So, and, and then Richard Jenkins, who was nominated as Best Supporting Actor, he is brilliant. I thought he was more, more the star of the show than anyone else. I don't think he's the star of the show. I Do think, you seriously think not? I think all the pieces work well in this film. I think the fact that it's been nominated for 13 Academy Awards yeah. is real evidence of the fact that half of those or more are going to be technical stuff. And yeah. the technical stuff of this film is working so perfectly the craft is spot on isn't exactly it? Yeah. and i think that's what really shows in the quality of the film and i think the cast reflect that del toro said he wrote these uh these characters for these actors he wasn't going to have anyone else he, he wrote them with these people in mind that's cool isn't it? and you can so clearly see that he understands what they can offer these characters because they just fit perfectly it's like yeah. a glove yeah and i i just think the film carries you along in, in a very quick it's two hours long but it's zip zipped by for me yes and i does feel pacey and i didn't ever that. feel like i knew what was going on in terms of how it was going to end and yet at the same time you do feel like you know you know the story but you don't actually know it and i think that's a really nice balance to have i think he knows his genres he knows his conventions and i think del toro does a good job of mashing together these unlikely companions of a, a romance and a sci-fi monster movie yeah and I know you're saying the romance didn't you didn't buy it and you don't believe it as well, a love I think story. It's, that combined it doesn't with really that, matter. Well, yeah, I I think the script was actually a slightly weak point. Uh, I don't know what you thought about this because it's alternately weirdly basic and then very very clever. 
I thought there were moments where I thought that's a brilliant line. I really like, I thought some of Michael Shannon's lines were so, they were, it was partly because they were brilliantly delivered. Like there's an amazing moment where he talks about the, what, <laughs> the image of man as defined by God. That scene I thought was so wonderfully delivered by him. It was just, it was the offhand comments that really sold it. But then there were also moments where it was just too obvious. How many, uh, how many scripts have you written in your not native tongue? I wrote one for the Super Benny Bros. Uh, yeah, <laughs> in, your, in your regular language. Yeah, but Phil, that doesn't matter. It's that a, does matter. I think that... film. Come no, on, I know, I know, no. But, but like, I think it was, it was co-written with Vanessa Taylor. So it wasn't I know, I know. Show. I'm just saying, like, as in, I'm just, I'm just ribbing you. Bro. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But anyway, I, th- I like the script. I thought it was good. I like the moments. I think actors must contribute a lot, and this is a, a very talented crew. Yeah. Who, yeah. I, I just think, yeah, it's an interesting film. Go see it. Um, it is really interesting. Is it best picture material, Phil? No. You don't think so? No. I think I'd like it to win because why you would probably it want win? Darkest Hour to win, don't you? If Darkest Hour wins Best Picture, <laughs> I honestly think I'm just not going to watch the Oscars anymore. Do you think so? I'm not There's gonna no care way it's going to win Best They picture. don't know anything if they win. If, they, <laughs> if that film wins, they know nothing. I slightly feel that way about Three Billboards, though, mate. So how about that? <sighs> mm, I don't think it'll win it. I want Phantom Thread to win it. I think that was brilliant. I think uh, I'd, I'd love it to win because how many movies can you name have a monster as a lead character yeah i'm with you i know exactly like that's something saying. isn't it that's yeah. something interesting and how many how many films are that this wonderfully crafted and so original well they're very that hit the main lighting projects like this and i suspect his ability to bring it under budget like that or within that budget is part of the deal because it's fantastical and you know listeners when I mean, you're gonna have to see it but and try and take notice of it sometimes some some of these films are so good it passes you by how beautifully made they are but like the underwater effects they used a whole combination of things they did uh what's it called i can't remember what they call it like a wet for uh, dry for wet where they there's amazing techniques like apparently a classic one is that you suspend someone with a wire and then you you blow a fan underneath them so that it affects their hair like lightly and then you slow the footage down so mm-hmm. and then it and then you put effects on afterwards and it looks like they're underwater and they use so many clever things like there's an opening shot where they just take you through a room and everything's floating i believe they actually had that stuff floating and and then they digitally altered the footage afterwards. But like, it's such a treat visually. Do you agree with that? Yeah, I do. Listeners, I'm going to warn you though. This film is, I think it's 15. Oh, right. Yeah, and yeah, um, yeah, yeah. it's got way more sex and violence than you would imagine for what the plot is. And viol- and a language to a certain extent as well. Yeah, it's, but like think- all good fairy tales, it's got a serious edge to it right the way through. And I think that's no surprise to the people who've seen Pan's Labyrinth. Yeah. And when we were talking right at the very beginning that moment which is possibly the saddest most horrible thing ever i think all of that is in play it's del toro's film and just go in uh, there's nudity and um yeah and violence that maybe doesn't match but i think that's kind of what he does that his his whole fairy tale thing is doing a fairy tale with the darkness and the bleakness i think i would i ultimately I, I liked the film and i enjoyed it and i i had a good time i think it was a b plus for me maybe an a minus no, no, actually a minus yeah um but i kind of wish i'd read the book even though it's not a book yes i'm with you on that one listeners you've got to tell us what you think about this i suspect lots of people will have seen it because it's a huge name uh super Betty bros at gmail.com at super Betty bros on twitter okay picture perfect phil the reason I didn't say which film I was thinking of is that it's Frozen. 
the Disney film Frozen. Ridiculous. Which I have not seen very many times at all, but my daughter, loving the soundtrack as she currently does, means I've rewatched a lot of the songs in particular. This is like our gold YouTube. standard of like movies and things. This is where we put our loving little moments in film that could not oh, be better. Oh, you Picture Perfect, you mean? Yeah, I, I and you're going to put that. Frozen in there. Well, the thing is, so there's just a couple of moments that I was dwelling on for quite a long time, and I th- and maybe it's just the mood I was in at the time, but I thought, that's brilliant. It couldn't be improved <laughs> Sleep upon. deprived. Yeah, well... <laughs> this week listeners like let me tell you we've been sick in the house it's been terrible so i've been super exhausted so maybe that is part of it but there's just two moments in a couple of frozen songs i want to pull out and i'm not a proper music person phil so i don't have that much to say what i'm kind of hoping is that someone listening will be able to tell me (laughs) why it's so good (laughs) which is what this feature should be so instead i'm just going to highlight it for you so there's a particular song do you know um uh, for the first time in forever. Actually, there are kind of three moments I could talk about, but I'll stick with two. For the first time in forever, do you know that one? For the first time in forever. That yeah, one. that's the title there'll of the song. There'll be magic. There'll be life. That one. And no? you play the actual songs. Well, I, you know, copyright and just, all that. Just risk I'll definitely it for play a the, the important bits. But the main thing is, it's Anna, who's the very happy-go-lucky princess, but she's had a sad time. Kristen her, Bell. Kristen Bell. Kristen Bell, correct. Uh, and her sister uh, Elsa. They just don't really talk anymore, and she doesn't know why. So she's super excited. They're going to open the palace up. Up, and then the public are going to be able to see them and she'll get to meet people and be excited and, and it, suddenly life is going to matter, right? You're describing one of the most successful films in the last like five years. Yeah. Like, I think most people see Well, like, you've got it. to contextualise this stuff, man. You've got to. <laughs> okay. Because it matters in this case. And there's a moment in the song where it switches from Anna's bubbly excitement to Elsa and she is very nervous about this day because her whole thing is she's got these ice powers that she needs to keep hidden because otherwise she's dangerous. And so the idea of letting people in to see her is very intimidating and there's a there's a really good musical moment where we've had it all very sprightly and very joyful and then Elsa sings this Tell the guards to open up the gate So you see man like, I think musically that's fascinating and like this is why I need someone who really understands this stuff to email in because uh, the instrumentation changes when Elsa turns up because she's nervous and there's a darkness. The sort of cadence changes, and uh, this is—I wish I knew the musical terms because it changes. It's not a musical form we've heard. It steps outside the bounds of the song, and suddenly this frothy, light, bubbly song about Anna being excited becomes basically a lay mis like moment of two narratives that are intertwining, two perspectives on the same moment, and colliding in the same moment. That's exactly it. One of one of them. She is terrified about the prospects of this, but her resolve comes through. Tell the glass to open up the gate. I think it's such a wonderfully, powerfully written line. You're looking at me like I'm mad, but it's such a powerfully written line that actually in many ways is the, one of the bravest things that character does in the whole film. Because up until that point, she's resisted contact and is terrified, but she resolves herself. She could say no, she's the queen, but she says no, tell the clerks to open up the gate. And I think, I think it is a stunning moment of simple music and craft in a Disney film that is actually very compelling emotionally and sets up the tension wonderfully because then you've got them overlapping against each other in all the excitement and you can feel the sense of foreboding. There you go. Is that a nice little moment? Yeah. Second one that's uh, kind of short film I think you'll find funny is okay. uh, <laughs> a moment with Prince Hans. Do you remember Hans? Hans. So Hans is a dashing guy with sideburns that Anna falls for instantly in a kind of subversion of Disney's own formula, basically. And they take the mick out of themselves that their heroine would fall in love with the first guy to dance with them, basically. And they have a moment where they sing this really beautiful song. Uh, what's it called? Love is an open door. It's got one of my favourite opening open lines. Door. That's right. But the first line is, all my life has been a series of doors in my face. Then suddenly I bump into you. Now, here's the challenge I've got for you, Phil. This is why it's a picture perfect for me. Because I think 
<laughs> the voice actor for Hans, and I think it's called Santino Fontana, and he was in a sitcom. He manages to sound like a handsome and intriguing and vulnerable in the space of three seconds. And there's a particular line that he sings, and I think it might be the most attractive way anyone could ever sing that line. I think he might be a genius, because I'm going to get you to sing it, and there's no way you're going to sound like a handsome, dark and mysterious guy. Are you ready for this? Don't have to, already am. Yeah, so right, right, right. So let's check this out, check like, this out. I've been searching my whole life to find my own place. <laughs> there it is, man. I've been searching my whole life to find my own place. It's like, I know, because it's like, I've been searching my whole life to find my own place can you sing it like you're a cool <laughs> sexy guy i've been searching all the time for my all time, the time. Place. i don't know the drive. lyrics i've been searching my whole life to find my own place i've been searching my whole life to find my place very good very good listeners you need to tell us who sounds more mysterious i think the guy might be a genius because instantly he sounds i've been searching my whole i can't do it <laughs> i wish <laughs> like anyway so I think that's a nice little moment as well. It's a very nice switch between the uh, the spoken and the sung, and it works. There and listeners, go. this is a little window into Laurie when he's hanging out with his children, <laughs> and he hasn't slept enough, and this is the stuff that's going on in his oh, Man, I've got even more to say. I love to, I love to think <laughs> Let's about Let's put a pause stuff. on that. <laughs> there you go, listeners. I'm not going to sing it, Laurie. I refuse. I'm okay with that, Phil. I think you know that the singing. The thing is, our listeners seem to like it, and really well, should do I, that. I just don't. I just. It's, it's. I've had enough of singing after you made me sing that silly Frozen stuff. I sung it too. Come on. All <laughs> you right. You didn't listeners. tell me I was going to have to do it. So, what have we been watching this week, Laurie? I've been watching Logan Lucky. You've been watching Definitely, definitely maybe, maybe. Correct. Definitely, what have you watched? Maybe, maybe definitely maybe. Definitely, maybe. <laughs> you made <laughs> much more of that joke than I did. Yeah, well done. Yeah, uh, so, shall I kick things off with Logan Lucky? Yes, do it. Logan Lucky. Jimmy, I'm just going to say it. I got to let you go. You were just fired. I was let go for liability reasons involving insurance. The one armed bartender. <laughs> you need to show a little respect. Charlotte. Motor Speedway. I know how they move the money. The only guy who knows anything about blowing up real bank vaults is Joe Bang. I am incarcerated. Yeah, we got a plan to get you out. Coca-Cola 600 is the biggest race of the year. We need a computer whiz. I know everything there is to know about computers, okay? All the Twitters, I know them. Welcome to the Coca-Cola 600. Now how many yards away is the vault? 20 yards. I don't know, maybe 30. Is it 20 or is it 30? We are dealing with science here. They're going to know what we want them to know. My life of crime is over. That is massively stupid. It's been handled. Oh, this is going to be good. That looks like it hurt. I want everything on Jimmy Logan. I'm about to get naked. So no bacon. I said no bacon. You Logans must be as simple-minded as people say. People say that. 
Would you give me my arm, please? Is it this one? <laughs> Listeners, you probably heard Laurie review this one, and he praised it a lot. He said it was good stuff. Uh, it's got Adam well, Driver. It's not a perfect film, but it was fun. Yeah, Adam Driver, Channing Tatum, uh, Daniel Craig in a really weird role, Budge, Budge, Joe Bomb or something. Yeah, that's right, Joe Bang, I think. Joe maybe. Bang, that's yeah. it. Yeah, and uh, I kind of loved it in a, a weird way because at first I was like, I'm not sure about this. Mm, I don't really get it. Mm, it's sort of like trying to do Ocean's Eleven, but it's not, and it's not as cool. And like the whole point of Ocean's Eleven is it's cool, and yeah, this is kind of weird and lame, and the characters kind of dorky and sort of dumb. And then as as it goes on, you sort of like, okay, oh, oh, I didn't see that coming. <laughs> really? Oh, that's fun. <laughs> like, and I genuinely, genuinely kind of won me over. I don't think I can think of many films that have done that as I'm watching it. It's won me over because it starts off quite formulaic, quite generic, in, but with just an oddity of layers of characters. Like the the, the plot is very you know you know the deal he needs money he can't he wants to see his daughter blah, yeah, yeah, blah. Yeah. but then coated around all of that is adam driver who's a one-armed bartender yeah he's like this guy who's got a weird like hip thing going on and he was he, in the army wasn't he i think yeah, yeah and and then there's this weird scene where they beat up seth mcfarlane McFarlane. yeah yeah he's playing this random british character all these sort of elements are just coated and weird but the the plot kind of plods along very formulaically and then you get to kind of the heist thing and then daniel craig is there as the most weird character you've ever imagined this sort of hyper blonde uh pyromaniac who's sort of nice but not and it it just it, it constantly surprised me and no more does that t- is that typified than in uh, a sequence where there's a prison riot and then they have an elongated conversation about George R. R. Martin and whether or not he's going to release some Game of Thrones this. books. I told you about the you Game did. of Thrones You did, and I was joke. like, I, I, I kind of suddenly, as I was watching it, I was like, this is really weird. Like, that why are they going on and on about this? And then suddenly I was like, Laurie told me about this. Yeah, <laughs> this yeah, is the yeah. moment. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's I really th- weird. I think a lot of it has to go down to the fact that it was made strangely. Stephen said, it's a, it's a writer, first time writer, I can't remember her name, but a lot of people you think... You reckon it's a pseudonym. Well, some people said it might be a pseudonym for Steven Soderbergh, and he famously likes to adapt methods and models, and distribution models in particular. So I think he created this in such a way that it was totally independent of the studios and so he probably had way more freedom and less checks than big films so moments like that sneak through which I just don't think you would get it's, in a it's a very product. odd moment because you cannot imagine an editor or any studio saying yeah we can ca- keep this in that's it's fine it's so weirdly like it's going to be so dated eventually and but... it just keeps on going though that's yeah, the thing which yeah, is yeah, yeah. both in its favour and also kind of highlights it as very odd didn't you think the same thing when Daniel Craig was explaining how his bomb works yeah, like there's just these moments which keep on going way beyond a normal sort of film. And I think ultimately, like I said, the film won me over. I do have concerns about the the cast basically putting on redneck accents yeah. and whether or not it's sort of is in favour or, okay, or is it right. mocking. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I can't really work it out, but I think it scratched an itch for me that I didn't realise I was missing, which is an Ocean's Eleven film. Right. It's, it's nice seeing a, fu- a fun heist movie that has uh, a good plot that is works through right to the end so that it's not left open-ended and i'm kind of sad that there won't be another one because it doesn't seem to have done that well it's got three c's mate creative charming clever just invented that you can have it for free (laughs) no thanks (laughs) uh yeah i'm I'm completely with you on that one i felt a bit uncomfortable to begin with but then i think i seem to remember saying to you i thought there was a weird kind of redneck chic going on where actually these people are still presented as glamorous somehow do you agree with me now that you've seen it 
Yeah, I think there's almost like a care. yeah. But, there's a yeah. sheen. There's a, it's like water of a duck's back. It just doesn't bother them. And then there's a charm in that. There's a kind of uh, yeah, like you say, a glamour. In... It's sort of a weird lifestyle where you don't need to faff about with all the stuff that you might worry about if you're some kind of upper middle class East person Coast with New York or whatever office job kind of. Thing. You know exactly. Yeah, you just are what you are, and you accept like you can be yourself. Yeah. I think that is slightly appealing. Um, I think overall the film probably gets a B plus for me. I liked it. Cool. Um, I don't think it's yeah i'd be interested to know whether or not listeners have seen it and what they made of it and i think it might have slipped you by in the cinemas and it's 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 available so do check it out and yeah, try and find it, it it did quite badly at the box office i think and I, I i think a lot of people would have been happy to see it too badly because it was issuing the traditional methods of stuff and people don't like change in the industry so i think it's really people should see it if they possibly can yeah laurie sorry did i jump in too much phil um, <laughs> did I you feel that? I way? mean, I suppose, yeah, you definitely did. Well, maybe you did. Oh, definitely, maybe. Oh, good one. Nice. All right. Definitely, maybe. Here it is. I think you should tell me the story of how you met my mom. Why do you keep saying my mom? Because now that you're getting divorced, she's mine, not yours. All her life, Maya has wondered how her parents met. Did you have another girlfriend before? I had two serious girlfriends, and then there's some other smattering of other women. I'm going to tell you the story, and I'm not telling you who your mom is. Fine. You're just going to have to figure it out for yourself. Good. And I'm changing all the names and some of the facts. I just decided that right now because I make the rules, and then we're going to see how smart you are. I like it. It's like a love story mystery. I'm ready. 14 years ago, I was in love with my college sweetheart. Let's call her... Emily. Emily. I am worried New York's going to change you. Change can be good. You have to give us a summer. Summer Hartley? Go be your brilliant self. Everyone knows that the girlfriend in the beginning of this story gets stumped. Maybe Summer Hartley's my mother. It's from Emily. Did you read this? I read a page. A page? And the part about you and Emily touching each other and kissing. Oh, that part. You're a great writer. Sorry, I was just curious. I'm gonna keep my eye on the ball. Emily and I have a future with a plan, which may involve some type of threesome now. What's a threesome? That's a game that adults play sometimes when they're bored. Whatever. Can I get 10 copies? You're the toilet paper guy. <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> you know what's really cool? We can just sit here. We don't have to worry about flirting or all the attraction stuff. Poor April has always been the friend. Then she realized she wants to be the girlfriend. Why are you so concerned with all of this? I want you to be happy. I'm happy. Trust me, Dad. You're not happy. Gonna close my eyes. For Will Hayes, a second look at the past. You and me, it'll kind of be like cats and dogs. Oil and water. Sandpaper and bare ass. That's gross. Might give him a second chance for the future. This story has a happy ending. What is it? You. Definitely. Maybe. I think I discovered who my mom is in the story. Well, who is it? Not telling. Well, there we go, listeners. Ryan Reynolds being a sympathetic, charming dad who is away with the lady. His head looks massive in this film. That's his what head, I remember. We talked about his head. Yeah, way back head. in season one. That's true. A long it's like time an ice cream go. It just keeps on going <laughs> out and out. Don't, don't look at the hairline, otherwise it'll start freaking <laughs> you out. It's like the yeah. Niagara Falls. <laughs> it's funny because I like. 
I, I don't know whether he's a handsome guy or not. I was asking Judith whether she fancies him, and she's like, eh, she's not. She's not totally sure. But then also, he's doing Hugo Boss adverts, whatever it is. He's so. uh, he's the man that Blake Lively loves. And I'm a big right? fan of Blake Lively. He's a very pretty lady. So he's probably very. He's charming. obviously in the upper echelons of beauty. Yeah, well, lucky for him. Uh, listeners, I don't know really what to make of this film. You heard the place it plot there. I. I think it's what's interesting about it is I think it is a really well-made, well-directed film that oozes cosy atmosphere and a kind of New York that doesn't really get represented anymore in cinema. It's the sort of rom-com New York of When Harry Met Sally, but kind of updated. So instead of their New Year's Eve parties and uh, their shopping trips and things, now we're at trendy like rooftop bars and stuff like that. Mm. And it's all about the Clinton campaign when he's, you know trying to impress people and make his mark and all that sort of stuff. And, and you know, the actresses as well, like Rachel Weiss and Isla Fisher and then uh, Elizabeth Banks as well. And it, it kind of works until it really doesn't. And it, it's almost like a magic trick because the way that it's made and the charm of the, especially the cast, they are a brilliant cast, really wins you over and the music wins you over. It's a great soundtrack by Clint Mansell, uh, who did Black Swan's music with Darren Aronofsky, uh, that it all works so seamlessly that you feel like you're watching something great. And then if you start towards the end, asking questions about the way that the narrative moves... It's very messy, think, isn't it? What? Very messy. That makes no sense at all. And actually the resolution to this film, if you think about it, free of that lovely cinematography, music and atmosphere, it is nonsense and quite annoying nonsense at that. That really doesn't know what it is trying to say about life and love or anything else. And actually the characters, when you look back at the characters, they morph in and out of who they are yeah. as suits the needs of the story. So it's a very, very odd film. It's pleasant to watch until it just gets irritating by it's, the end. It's got a bitter taste, aftertaste, I think. That's I, the thing. Yeah, something not quite right about it. And it, it the major thing that I found myself thinking in a slightly annoying way, here's a little insight, listeners, about what it might be like to live with me, is that I instantly was looking up the dates for the banking crisis <laughs> because I thought that the reason I was enjoying the film was it has a latent optimism in the way it presents like young adult life mm. in the way that I used to find with friends for example and it, it came just, out in 2007 then exactly 2007 2008 and it was literally just before the massive collapse of all these banks and I think kind of from that point on these kind of optimistic rom-coms where hey it's cool to just have an, you know an ordinary job and you might find love and you might do really cool quirky things and everything's okay that easy sense of stuff just being is fine. that the death of the rom-com I, I did wonder, it ruin people's I, mortgages I, I, just, I'm just and, really curious. And rom-coms. That's it's, doubly annoying then, bankers. I think it just evaporated. And instead, we can't do that anymore because it feels irresponsible somehow. And life probably won't work out just fine <laughs> unless you work really, really hard to make it okay. <laughs> I've, uh, I've seen this film. It was one of those films which lots of people talked about. I read about it a lot and I wanted to see it. I really wanted to see it because I, I heard it was kind of a classic rom-com. Yeah. And it brings back some of those things which have sort of died. And then when I saw it, I was a little bit disappointed. I kind of, like you said, I wanted to l- like it. And then it kind of just trailed off and got a bit dark and nasty the ending is just not good and yeah. uh what i found there's one scene in it which really stood out to me which i found very weird which is um uh, two of the characters ron reynolds and one of the girls bond over smoking a cigarette oh yes you it's very it's very weird i like, thought about that myself and do you know what i thought and now i now i feel glad about the band i thought wow smoking's kind of cool isn't it <laughs> 
<laughs> which it isn't. It's incredibly bad for you. And yeah, exactly. But, but it's so weird seeing in a in a rom com. It's almost like cigarettes don't cigarettes don't happen in rom coms. In and I remember thinking that in Serendipity as well. There's a bit when uh, what's the name Kate Beckinsale That's is right. running through in the rain and she tries to light a cigarette. And it's like, what are you doing, Kate? This is rom-com land. You don't need. There's no smoking Have in rom-com seen land. The pictures of your lungs. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and like, it's just very odd because it, it's sort of a nicely written scene, but it's a. It just kind of. I don't see it being made now ever. No. Well, this is and this is why I, I was interested by the whole context, and it did make me wonder. Yeah, was there something that died <laughs> beyond <laughs> the banking? Lots of places. Oh, just yeah, terrible times. But yeah, so I don't know that I can really recommend it, listeners. But it is charming. It's really, really charming. It's just got not that much underneath it. So I would probably give it a B minus. I'm quite surprised that's that high. Well, I would I, say, but I can't deny that I really enjoyed it up to the point. Uh, if you want to see Ryan Reynolds being romantic, watch The Proposal. Yeah, that's a good film with Sandra Bullock. And Judith loves that as well. Very funny. Yeah. There we go. What have you been watching this week? Let us know. Superbellybros at gmail.com at Superbellybros on Twitter. If you've seen either of those and agree with us, we're wanting your pluses or minuses ones is because <laughs> uh, we need to tally them up and all that. That's a little competition Laura and I do to try and keep track of what listeners like us better. That's right. Email song, Phil. Oh, Darn it, I, I, I didn't see this coming. Emails are right now. Was that like a rap intro to no, that No, that was like I completely forgot that that's a thing I do. No. Sorry about that. That was a short little... If you're disappointed by that, listeners, it can't match mine. Don't uh, you're always to, disappointed. Come to rely on you for these moments, Phil. Oh, sorry. Thanks so much for getting in touch with us, listeners. I've got some good ones for you. Here we go. Nicholas says, Laurie Solo, a Bailey story. <laughs> oh. Hi, film critic that has been on TV, Laurie, and the other funny Bailey one. How do you feel about that, Phil? Hey, I'm funny. What have you got? <laughs> Been on TV, apparently. Yeah, I wasn't. I was on TV for like so little time. Your shoulders were everywhere. They were. I was shrugging and all that. I've learned some it important like, lessons oh, already. I'm I sorry, I'm on TV. <laughs> My neck doesn't, doesn't exist. <laughs> that is exactly what it was like. <laughs> apparently, I was on uh, BBC News 24 with that as well. I didn't know that. What for the whole thing? Apparently, one, yeah, just constant. Yeah, just, no, twenty four seven lorry. Twenty four seven lorry. No, I think uh, it was on the news channel. They called it the channel when I asked someone at the BBC, but I didn't know that. So and so, were you on uh, your whole interview? bit was on i can't imagine they would have put the whole thing on how do you not know well i want to know now i, di- I didn't know that i assumed it was just on bbc one anyway look we'll move, move this is all old news now. still bbc one man that's cool it was fun it was fun going into new broadcasting house but it was an odd experience uh yeah 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 okay let's move on i'd love to hear your feedback about the super bowl trailers particularly the han solo movie the non-dundee movie and the cloverfield paradox i'm sure you've heard all the news about the latter and jj abrams coop the force through netflix let us know if you've seen I Will as soon as I do. He's got a few more things to say. Anything to add, Phil, on those points? Uh, I've only seen the Han Solo one, and I sort of was arguing with myself whether or not I should watch it or not. The trailer? You've still not seen it? No, I have seen it. I was I, I lost against myself or won against myself, not sure. <laughs> Just, but I was trying to <laughs> where say... Where are you going is, with this? Like, as in, like, do I want to, like, spoil it? Do I want to get my expectations dashed or raised or whatever? Maybe I should just go in and watch the film. Uh, but I, I collapsed and watched it. And I thought it looks... Uh, okay, slightly worrying in parts and some bits look better than I thought. Uh, what was really interesting was another guy uh, on Reddit, he did a trailer edit of the Super Bowl spot or the, the bit that came out afterwards where they changed the music to the um, 
the Empire running away uh, music. Oh, yeah, I know what you're talking about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. great And it, the, the trailer worked much better with that music than it did with the music they did use. Mm. And I think that might have been the thing that was missing from the Star Wars-y vibe was just the, the John Williams score. Well, how interesting. Yeah, I mean, listen, uh, Nic- Nicholas, you probably heard lots of other people say this already, and I agree with them, is that I was a bit put off by the cool, dark CGI stuff. Like, I like the bright lighting of the original Star Wars trilogy. I'm not so keen on the Rogue One style cinematography, but it looks like we're going to get more of that. It might be an aesthetic they're trying out for the um, the solo standalone films. And I also thought, what, what I thought was interesting was a lot of other people are saying, oh, but this is like the Kessel Run, and this is using the plot from one of the extended universe books that got written. They've actually decided to just do that and make Han Solo this kind of happy-go-lucky smuggler and all this sort of thing. And The thing that makes me most nervous is that I feel like Disney are in the middle of a a massive focus group that involves the whole world. (laughs) And they're trying out all these different approaches to doing Star Wars. Because I think now every single film has been completely different. The Force Awakens was like a kind of stylish nostalgia fest that maybe didn't have that much underneath it. As we had nothing underneath it, now I disagree with that. Well, no, no, it was in because it wasn't a trilogy. It just wasn't a complete story, was it? Right, right, right. So, I mean, it was just a one-off nostalgic wonder fest kind of thing. Uh, and then Rogue One was like this weird kind of gritty, gritty war film movie. That, as you know, this film I didn't think worked very well. Last Jedi was a new direction with this weird humor element all wrapped up in it. And now this one looks like it might be trying to use more of the pre-existing uh, Star Wars fan stuff that's already out there or Star Wars legend stuff that's out there. And it, do you know what I mean? That feels like... They're just seeing which one works. Hoovering in all directions. And that makes me nervous because I just, how can you have integrity with that kind of film? But I don't you know, know. I think there's, there's there's something commendable in that, in that they're not trying to just work out a formula and going with it. They're no, trying new things. I think that things. is exactly what they're trying but to then, do. Or they're trying new things and saying each film doesn't need to be exactly the same, like a Marvel star thing. Well, instead, you could have movies which kind of change and adapt based on the filmmaker, based on the characters. Yeah. I don't know, man. The if fact that J.J. Abrams world, is coming back for the, the last in the trilogy, episode nine. I think You're just Mr. Cynical, I think. No, I'm not cynical. I'm just seeing what's there. I'm just, and I'm, <laughs> I'm just, just tell, I'm telling, I'm just you, telling you like it is. Yeah, exactly. exactly. <laughs> anyway, the, look, we'll the stop cynical catchphrase. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not super miserable about it, Nicholas, but it didn't excite me. So I'm going to keep my expectations low, which I highly recommend for everyone. Did basically. you enjoy seeing your buddy on the, uh, the trailer, though? What, my buddy? Yeah, Woody Harrelson. Woody. Oh, yeah, I met Woody. Put my arm around him, said, so liked you in, uh, what was that film he was in? Uh, Out of the Furnace. And he went, oh, another great comedy. <laughs> I was like, I didn't know whether to laugh or not, or whether he was taking the mic <laughs> Always at me. laugh. If they're laughing, you laugh. <laughs> oh, would he slay me, mate? Yeah, that kind of thing. <laughs> right, sorry, Nicholas. We've rambled all over your email. He finishes off. Finally, I'm so much looking forward to the rewards. Here are some suggestions. Most iconic objects or iconic buildings. Best facial hair, weirdest movie titles. Best Mary Poppins tributes. I think there's <laughs> two of those. Best farewell slash deaths. Interesting. Movie whammies. 2017 movies that make a great combo. Nice. Oh, I like that. A double double whammy. Mm, well, I Nicholas, like that. That's we a may good add feature. those to the list. Listen out uh, for our next one. Yeah. As always, keep up the great work, Nicholas. Okay, Kang and Modesto. Hi, bros. A few random thoughts for you this morning. You mentioned a while back that Jeremy Renner was the most bankable star, e.g. his films make the most money. My question is, is that about him as an actor or his choice of films that he acts in? Okay. So in I other think, words... Sorry, yeah, go ahead. I think basically what it is, is I don't think he's necessarily 
He hasn't made the most money, but I think relative to his cost, like relative to the money that he's paid to appear in films, mm. his films return uh, a good chunk, a good percentage of it's what a, he's it's paid. It's the sort of stat you can only do in hindsight. So you might be right, Esther. It might be a complete accident of the films that he's happened to be cast in, and he's the least useful part in that algorithm. But, but if I think there's, basically if there's a trend, he's value for money, basically. Yeah, well, that's if there's a trend, then you've got to you've got to say it might be partly to do with him. I think uh, The Rock is the guy that brings in the most bucks, like oh, overall. Yeah. But I think um, relative to his pay, I think he's it's, it's to do with his pay. It's a hindsight thing, like you said. That's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, disagree. She carries on that Lily James was good in War and Peace. She wasn't lively or joyful enough to really be <laughs> Natasha from the book. 100% all about Paul Dano's Pierre. Paul he's Dano was awesome great in, in that. Everything. He was so good in that. He's an incredibly talented actor. His, uh, he's the guy who... You know how everyone raves about Hugh Laurie in-house and how like even the director was like, yeah, this is what we need, a true American. Yeah. And he's, he's doing... Like, Paul Dano in uh, War and Peace, honestly, is the most authentic English accent I think I've heard by an American ever. It's very impressive. And his whole bearing really sells that role incredibly well. Yeah, I agree with you there, Esther. Yeah, yeah, he's, he's brilliant. Um... Lily James is good. I think yeah, she's warm. Esther. I think you. I think you've got it in for Lily because uh, you didn't <laughs> like her in anything else. I, I thought she was great in War and Peace, but then I'm not a big. I haven't read the book, so maybe that's it. Maybe Esther has read the book and has formed it. Uh, interestingly, did you watch the book? Uh, watch the book. Did you read the book before watching the TV show? That'll be interesting. Oh, there we go. Esther, you've got to tell us. My husband and I recently watched The Salesman. Oh, yeah. Foreign film Oscar winner last year. I found it a fascinating exercise as it was really rather hard to watch as a married Western woman. I say this because the film is all about a married couple coming to terms with a really difficult thing that happens to the wife. But due to Iranian law, they're unable to touch during the whole film. I guess it's similar to the No Kissing in Bollywood, which I also find it hard to relate to. This means that in my mind, the husband comes off as really callous at times, as he doesn't, in my mind, properly comfort his wife, which I'm not sure is what the film necessarily intends. I found this ultimately to be very distracting and made me unable to fully enjoy the film, even though the story was a very interesting one. We'd be interested in your thoughts on this. Well, Esther, I I don't really know what to say there. I think... You saw that um, animation film, the anime, that was um, a woman, wasn't it? Uh, you mean In This Corner of the World? Yeah, something. I remember you saying that it, the way it positions the, the female character in the film culturally is quite difficult for us. As, well, not old... difficult, but it's, it's the sort of thing that might draw your frustration because she is expected to wait upon the family and to do dishes and things and be a housewife and very explicitly expected to do those things. And it's strange to see a film that almost treats that with fondness, not because of what's happening, but because of the time that it represents and the honesty with which it's being represented. And I I think it's a really good thing to be able to cultivate a knowledge that just because we can't can't access the whole culture uh, that's going on on the screen, that doesn't mean there's not meaning in there. And we just have to create space to not understand everything that's going on. I, I, I always try and do that, with Japanese films especially, yeah. It's interesting, though, having a the constraints of a country where the film was made affect the film. Because yeah. that's the thing, isn't it? With the no kissing, no touching uh, that, that, that Esther mentions, is that's something we so expect. It's so much the filmic language of interaction that not having it represented could change how then she engages with the characters and often i think it's just really really good to have our own sort of western dominant mindset challenged in these kind of things and uh but uh, yeah i know i know what you mean it's hard to emotionally engage when you're missing the cues and that sort of thing that you don't even realize are an important part of how you read people so many percent of what you say is not through your mouth laurie yeah 
Well, interesting. I guess we're going to have to watch it. What have I say right now? Phil, <laughs> you didn't see the hand gesture that came with that. No, I'm joking. I didn't. It was a very so nice thumbs up. Jesse, it was a double as well. The thumbs up. Uh, thumbs, uh, thumbs up. Esther's final point here. I also recently watched Eight Mile. That's the Eminem documentary, right? Yeah, one of the best rap songs ever. There we Mom's go. Mom's Spaghetti, that one, yeah. With a six-month-old. Really hope she doesn't learn the swearing. <laughs> <laughs> that's, a, that's a brutal film to watch with a, a young kid. Well, it's a difficult question, Esther, because I was not allowed to watch the film Spy at the cinema with Melissa McCarthy in it because my wife and I had brought our daughter with us and she was, yeah, tiny at that point. And they refused entry to us because they said they could get sued or something like that. For so, a baby. Yeah, that's right. I know, I was really annoyed at the time and I don't really understand the deal. Um, not allowed to admit anyone under 15, though. No? Yeah, that's kind of the thing. So it was, uh, I don't really you know the answer to that you never know she might have picked it up <laughs> i can say somewhere deep in the consciousness my daughter you know at, at age nearly three remembers stuff that she couldn't talk about at the time which That's is very weird. very That's disconcerting very because she's obviously remembering things and assigning words to it in her mind and then talking about it so you've got no idea what she's and what now she you're really replaying all the conversations you've had <laughs> when you assumed that she wasn't listening because she couldn't talk they listen a lot i can guarantee that okay all right thanks very much for that esther cal got in touch hey fellas almost a year ago today i emailed you for the first time strangely enough about the rewards so thought it'd be good to share this article with you again about unsung oscar heroes that's right we actually he's linked to it again and we got a lot of the categories from there it was a great article thanks Cal uh, I thought I'd actually write in as your story of the film academy and how you got into films brought me fond memories of nostalgia now at this point Phil I laughed so much when I heard it again even though I put it together that I'm going to uh, <laughs> suggest that if other people uh, email us about this we should you do this play again <laughs> It just makes me feel so happy to hear it. It's so old. Every time we get a, a, a film academy story, I'm going to play this. That's how it is. Uh, my put film, off. In fact, we should read it like one of the announcements. My film career began at age five, growing up in an oddly conservative Muslim household. Let me give you an example. I'm going to stop the voice now. <laughs> you immediately regret that. No, I don't regret it. I just I don't want to do it. Okay. My parents would switch the channel if a woman in a bikini came up on screen. No knowledge of Baywatch until my early teens but they wouldn't bat an eyelid to Predator ripping out someone's <laughs> spine. Do you wow. know what, Cal? That image is burned in my brain too. I remember that. that. Have you seen that moment? I haven't, no. It's a very, like, it's framed against the sky. Just a massive spine. You just see it silhouetted. Yeah. It's quite frightening. So my exposure, he carries on to the 80s classic action flicks like Terminator, Predator et al. came at a very early age. My oldest brother at the time, being in his mid-twenties, started amassing a collection of the Hong Kong classics like the likes of Bruce Lee and Jackie Chan. So my early film years were very Asian cinema heavy and growing up with films like The Drunken Master which is brilliant by the way have you ever seen that? Uh, is that the film that invented that style? I'm not entirely sure but it is or is it off the back of it's it? It's phenomenal the choreography Jackie Chan is, is like incredible. it's not like his Rush Hour film is it? Uh, no 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 it's amazing. it is funny but it's incredible uh, Yeah, and Fist of Fury were incredible my first film at the cinema was Rush Hour 2 and so began my love affair with the cinema Rush Hour that is a good trilogy man Yeah. Uh, nowadays if I see a film I'm almost always going to try and see it in IMAX there goes lots of stuff in there Cal uh, very different film academy to me and that's a classic example of parents who's they've got thresholds haven't they and you don't realize where yours are and where your blind spots are as well because bikini not a chance but spine being ripped out fine <laughs> what's the problem you've got to learn about it sometimes it's a big alien it doesn't matter it's so funny because you almost never will see a bikini in your life but you're quite unlikely to see a spine <laughs> you'd hope not out. you'd hope not yeah. but 
you know, each their own, you know, right, not, exactly. not to, you right, wouldn't let yeah, anyone exactly, tell you what exactly. to do with the parenting. Well, we so. Come on, we weren't allowed Simpsons, where we weren't allowed to Power Rangers. I remember when we finally managed to crack Friends. Friends was a good one. Yes, Friends was off the cards for a long time, as was Harry Potter for us, actually, for a while. Do you remember that? Yeah, that was, uh, I remember, I was the first one in the family you to did, read Harry Potter. You did, you broke through. Very mm. good. Okay, he carries on. Your remarks about the four for 20 quid in HMV bring me to my uni years and being on a film and acting degree. Oh, cool. And living with my best friends. Between the four of us, our collective DVD collection could have given blockbusters a run for their money. <laughs> so right there with you on the missed slash avoided lectures for quick trips to the cinema to the point where the four of us ended up working at the local Odeon together. Wow, So three cool. films are plenty and on our days off we'd work out the schedule to try and see back-to-back films from open to close. That's cool. Wow, that's cool. I like that. Anyway, just thought I'd give you my film story. You're very welcome to Film Academy. <laughs> We're going to see you again next week I'm not going to keep doing that yeah. still on the podcast oh he says he's not sure on the new format but we'll see well so will we'll we see. Dot, dot, dot. <laughs> worry not it's uh, all up in the air okay and we actually got loads of tweets Phil I'm just, just going to cherry pick a couple Alice got in touch at Superbelly Bros saw Black Panther yesterday lads and yes I enjoyed it but it's not the best Marvel movie yet I would put Avengers 1 Iron Man 1 Guardians 1 Winter Soldier Civil War and Ragnarok ahead of it that's a lot of films ahead of it a bit overhyped he thinks Circus is excellent, but not in it long enough. Michael B. Jordan as Killmonger is the best thing in it. Such charisma. We're agreed on that. Yeah, definitely. massively agree with that. Michael B. Jordan, good actor, really good actor. Well, I, th- I was kind of surprised that they didn't make more of um, uh, Andy Circus as Claw. I thought he was he was kind of uh, gleeful in how he was doing. He's kind of campy, which I think helped provide a bit of seasoning to the rest of the film, which I is agree. quite dour. I think he was a bit too out there by comparison because he wasn't he was just so ridiculous. He belonged in like a Bond ish film as a mad henchman. And if they'd stuck with him through the end of the film and given him a really serious arc, that would have been better. I mean as it was, when he talks about Wakanda, he's more interesting, I think. Uh, he also goes on to say, I have to say, I'm shocked and saddened that Christopher Nolan's masterpiece, Dunkirk, only won one BAFTA for sound in last night's BAFTAs. Haven't seen Billboards and Shape of Water yet, but Dunkirk was the film of 2017 and deserved at least Best Director, if not Best Film, Core. Those are those are pretty big awards to get, for at least. Like, Yeah, I uh, I can't agree with you there, Alistair. As I, I suspect you already know, because uh, you will have heard our review on it, but I thought Dunkirk was okay. I there's some bits of it were, br- were brilliant. I think the opening in the in Calais was unbelievable. Yes, it was, well, but it wasn't wasn't the feature of the film, was it? It was the film isn't characterised by those opening moments because that's where there is actually action. Whereas in this, it's much more about waiting and tension, isn't it? Rising mm. tension, tension, rising t- <laughs> tension. No one's going to know what that joke means, are they? Because that was a thing that never saw the light of day. Oh, you uh... tension, tension, rising tension, incredible. Exhausting. That was the tension, thing which you rising, cut tension, out because rising uh... and rising tension. <laughs> Laurie was going to do like this Hans Zimmer thing. I still think it was quite good. I yeah, kind of can... wonder if you should put it in no, at I, some point. It would have to be an ultimate bonus on ultimate a, bonus <laughs> deep track hidden compilation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I basically listened. I found a clip of Christopher Nolan talking about what he was going for, the amazing intellectual idea he had for the soundtrack to his film Interstellar, and it turns out he just wanted loads of tension. No, for Dunkirk. Was it? No, no. This is he was talking about Interstellar in the clip. Oh, but really? In, in Dunkirk, it's exactly the same thing because Christopher Nolan's so creative and he has so many ideas. He wanted to use the sound thing, didn't he? The yeah. ever, tension. ever going up scale, rising tension, rising and rising. Yeah, I'm going <laughs> to find anyway, it. It's a good clip. Let's move on. Okay. Um, there are, those are all the t- we've actually got loads of correspondence this week, Phil. But I think that's everything we're going to do this episode. Thank you very much, everyone, for sending us your stuff. Keep it coming. Superbellybros at gmail.com at superbellybros on Twitter, and we love hearing from you especially if you haven't got in touch with the show before that's not to put off anyone who does email the show regularly no 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 absolutely not but just the you know, more we, the merrier the, the more the merrier the merrier merry <laughs> oh, we did
late, man, isn't it? Okay, listeners, thank you for joining us for Season 3, Episode 7 of Super Baby Bros in Movie Land. Yes, it's been a good episode, in my opinion. Mm. Hope you liked it as well. Do get your thoughts in on Black Panther. I'm sure lots of people will go see that. And also Shape of Water, Del Toro's uh, bizarre romantic monster movie. It'll be really intriguing to see whether he wins any awards. I mean, he's, he's got to pick up loads of the technicals. Yeah, I really agree. And it wouldn't surprise me if... Uh, yeah, well, I, maybe she could get something. It wouldn't surprise me if the Academy likes Sally Hawkins. Hawkins. She fits the bill, I think. She does a fantastic job. With what she's given, she's just brilliant. Yeah, it's uh, it's impressive. Anyway, uh, let us know your thoughts on that. Let us know your thoughts also on definitely maybe, and um, what was your one again? Logan, Logan Lucky. Lucky. That's right. And then uh, My Pitch Perfect's on Frozen, of course. <laughs> but did you cringe? A lot of people cringe, I think, at moments such as these, but I was happy anyway. I'm glad that you stuck to your guns and you were yourself. It was very Elsa of you. Oh, nicely done, Phil. <laughs> and right on, right on theme with everything I said as well. So what? <laughs> Laurie, that was cool of you. My bro, bro, my bro. How's that? Yeah, brilliant. There we go. Even more Elsa. Well, that's a good laugh. Even more Elsa. I would like that to become a catchphrase of the show. Yeah. So Elsa review. I said something absolutely ridiculous the other day. I said, "Don't sweat the people." Yes, I was there, Phil, when you said it. uh, Yeah, it's a very good catch-all phrase, isn't it? Don't sweat the people, mate. Yeah, you could use it in almost any situation. People would still look at you like, "What are you talking about?" But if you say it with enough sort of conviction, it does sort of work. Don't sweat the people. So what are you thinking? Someone's having a tough time in their work. Like, oh, don't worry, don't sweat the people, mate. Don't sweat the people. You know, I, I get it. It doesn't. It's very ambiguous, which is what makes it good. All <laughs> it platitudes. does. It does its job by moving the conversation along. Precisely so filmed. don't sweat the people, listeners. It's been fun. Goodbye. Yeah. This is. It's weird that it'll be two weeks until we're with you again. Uh, hopefully, my show, other show thing, will be out uh, between now and then. But you never know. Like, it's all a trial period anyway. It may be that things ease off and we're able to come back to a weekly show. We'll just have to wait and see. But uh, in the meantime have a great fortnight and uh, we'll see you soon thanks for sticking with us bye 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 okay phil i've got i've got way too many bonuses i know i say this a lot i think just sometimes you know how they say if you're an artist there's a muse and <laughs> what, what's when, your muse <laughs> i don't know what it is that's a bonus in it's some itself. kind of terrible you know, grumpiness, old who, grumpiness. I, well, maybe that's more like Mr. what it Grumpy. is. But then when it goes, it's gone, and it, you know the fount is dry, the spring is dry, so you have to write away. But I think some of them are kind of rubbish. Uh, can you group any of these together to well, kind of work through them? I think I could do two things. Yeah, actually three things that I don't like, hate, maybe. You just grumpiness, Pet just hate. moans. So number one here, Phil is the fact that this is the winter, I get very cold hands. You know, my extremities get freezing in the cold weather. And I've got a a massive pair of ski gloves that, whilst they do the job very well, so this is another story, they've got a little, they've got a tag on them to show the brand, and it's on, like, the inside of the middle finger. That's a very odd place for it. It's a terrible place for it, because it's like a hard (laughs) triangular tag. And if you're skiing, which is when I bought these gloves, if you have to, if you wipe your face to clear the snow off your face, like, the triangle catches... (laughs) On your eyebrow, then your nose, then your eyebrow again. It's so sore. So anyway, that's beyond. The, that's not even remotely the point. Uh, so, I wish you could have seen the disgust as Laurie like, literally acted out. I just every time it happened, I was like, "Why are you? Why did you do this? Why would you do you this?" Betrayed me, bro. So cross. What is the price of I looking you, cool? Yeah, I bet uh, you paid a lot of money for those gloves as well. Wow, TK Maxx, mate. Anyway, look. <laughs> so then I I've been wearing the soft ones, the like uh, the woolen ones. The wools. I like the wools. Bad one. in wet weather, but keep your hands nice and toasty warm if they're firmly in your pocket if it's cold and dry the thing is phil if i ever need to take them off which i do to use my phone for example you do the teeth yes i do the teeth 
and I hate it. Like there's something in me that physically reacts to that sensation of cotton between my teeth. It's that like, extra, extra squelch. Extra and the little kind of, like, yeah, that, even just thinking about it is creeping me out. It's uh, the little, it's hideous. I can't, I hate it. Can and you just do it lightly though? So you know, almost like how you don't bite the I've fork. I've been practicing it. If you put your tongue in between as well, that provides a barrier that helps. <laughs> That is deep. <laughs> that is very deep thinking. Well, there. Look, I have been there. So there, there's hate number one. Do you want me to do the other two? For yeah, I, just for hit me up. I feel like you need to get this out off your chest. Okay, next one. I'm really not a fan of calling the inside of nuts meat. So oh, a, a who does that? <laughs> there was a particular book I was reading recently. The meat of Which nut. described a character as popping open cracking pistachios and eating the meat. So she would crack the nuts <laughs> and then keep the meat and pop the meat in her mouth. I'm thinking, this is weird. Man. That's not a thing, is it? I think it is. I think that might even be nut the meat. official, the actual term. Same thing for the coconut. Meat of, the meat of the nut. I believe what you call the inside of a coconut is meat. Certainly according to the songs of Moana Phil. Eat, scoop up the meat inside. <laughs> That's one of the lyrics. The coconuts. Are we, do you reckon we're going to be able to get through a podcast without mentioning Moana? We, we have surely lost. I think we've hit like a, a, a solid streak longer Peak than Moana. Vardy's goals. Well, I do apologise, but this is in the context of another anecdote. So there's another thing I'm not a fan of. The meat of, of the nut. That's it's disgusting just a bad phrase. Word it. It's got to be, we need to invent a word. Just call it the the crocker. The what? The cura. That's not better. The cura of the Let's nut. Just call it the nut, mate. What's the problem? The other thing the is, nut is the whole no, thing. The other it's thing the is the sh- No, no, no. Yes, no. that is the nut. No, you're right. It's the package, like the wrapping. If you, if you buy something, you don't talk about. Oh, I, I bought um, a plastic bag and a DVD, or a cellophane yeah, but wrap you wouldn't, and you wouldn't a DVD. Call it, you wouldn't. Would you call a kiwi fruit? Oh, let me just unwrap. No, the no, cellophane. no, no, no. We need to talk about this. If you had like the inside of kiwi. We, I think you would sort of, that would be odd and said, so, oh, do you want a kiwi? And you just gave them the inside of a kiwi. Like, that's, <laughs> that's a very odd thing to do. Like, it's a whole but package. what are you going to call it? Meat? Well, not the meat of the fruit. That sounds just wrong. There's something wrong with it, isn't there? But I still think, like, I, if, I, if I wanted pistachio, I want the whole pistachio. I want to crack it open. And... I know what you're saying. I'm just imagining being given a kiwi, <laughs> kiwi without a skin. <laughs> That would be quite funny. Funny prank to play on someone. Do you want a kiwi? Sticky and horrible. Big round. (laughs) Grey thing. That's funny, man. Now I'm thinking about that. Do you want the last one? (laughs) Yeah. This one's too long, though. Basically, I've just read in my notes, it just says, don't like Oxford Street. But then, (laughs) I think we can come back to that one for another day. We'll just quit. No, I want to know why It's quite a long story. Well, okay, fine. So I was walking down Oxford Street. I've had to do it a few times in London recently. I'm trying to save money, not go on the tube as much as I need to. Very long. Um, street yeah it is a long street and it's always busy which way are you going you start from Oxford Oxford Circus towards Marble Arts from the centre yeah that's a bad way as well yeah I know I know and and it's what's annoying about it is I don't want to go into any of the shops but everyone else on the street loves the (laughs) shop you don't want to go in the Disney store (laughs) no and I I just want to get from A to B but you can't do it because no one uses that street except to shop and then on top of that I had a really weird thing where I was walking past the um, bus shelters and all of them had those digital billboards adverts right Mm. That rotate and I, I, it really creeped me out it was like it was following me or my walking speed is just the national average or something because every time I came to a bus stop the ad changed again and it changed to the same advert it was Calvin Klein ladies underwear every single time every single bus stop it's like oh you want to hear a Twix no 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 ladies underwear and it was like Oxford Street was trying to tell me either I, like, I needed to buy this stuff 
didn't like and I just there was something about was it I a just, Truman Show-ish it was moment. really weird I didn't like it I was like stop showing me this this like ladies Calvin Klein underwear like, I, I get I it it's a it. great deal but I can't <laughs> afford it and like no stop this it was just there was something about the street that just wound me up and I didn't like it uh, did you not think maybe of doing like a little sidestep and just walking down the back alleys well I did that it, eventually yeah I gave up on Oxford Street I thought no you've yeah. had your chance and you failed me <laughs> you failed me street it's annoying when it's a famous street as well and it just you can't <laughs> you should be, used, be better than this it can no longer be used for its purpose because it's become something else I don't know but I think there's some joy in uh, in discovering the frustration of Oxford Street because I think that's like a the the you've perforated a new level of London. Is this right? I mean, yeah. you, you've been in London more than I lived me. in a London. I lived, lived in a in London. A, <laughs> I lived in a London. Yeah, I lived in London, That's and I think once you kind of get of, that uh, frust- frustration Sorry, of uh, of being there, mm. and like the streets feel familiar, and you know them inside and out, and you know the stores, and you know which way to go, and there's a charm in I that. There's a charm in anger. Right Listen, he's back there. He's back yeah. in his favourite. It's a uh, Favorite streets probably not. I, uh, no I took uh, just a, sorry. This is going hey, way Gino, on. Good to see you again. How are the kids? <laughs> I took great pride in knowing exactly where to stand, so that I would wouldn't like wouldn't have to go onto the tube door bit. I'd just be there, and it'd open up on my face, well, like I could just that. stroll right in. I knew exactly where on each platform where to stand, and I knew not even only that, but also I knew which place I needed to be so I could get off and get onto the stairs I and like out that. the tube. I do that now, so that you don't have to deal with any of the platform. Mate, That's and me efficient get on London well. is Tottenham Court Road as well. You, I always, there's I no always better get the feeling than steps. Yeah. no oh. better feeling than being efficient in London. That yeah. is like ultimate London pride. We've really, I mean, talked a lot right now, and it, it's a bad sign because I've still got more to say to you. I just realised we need to do a feature on best film bloopers because when you said I lived in London, it immediately reminded me of my favourite ever blooper from Zoolander. Uh, you're making a bigger mistake. <laughs> I love it so much. Maybe you could play that to finish you're this making off. Making a bigger mistake. It's just <laughs> perfect. He's so angry with himself. I love it. I love it. I love it. Play it at the end. It's just so rambly. Bye. Bye. You're making a big mistake. Ah, screw it. Thank you very much for being in touch, everybody. Thank you. I was about to say the same thing again. Okay, listeners. Hey, thank you for tuning in to season three, episode seven. Thank you very much for joining us for the ride. Yes, yeah, no, you... I don't want to do that. That's rubbish. <laughs> Lots of bloopers coming. Ready, 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 wait. Well, I've got bonuses. I mean, I've got bonuses by the bucket. We haven't loads. done goodbye. Oh yeah. <laughs> And he's the guy who did the music in uh, The Life Aquatic with Steve Zizou, um, which also has that amazing beach assault theme. Do you know what I'm talking yeah, about? Yeah, yeah, I do. You want me to talk about that? I can play that again underneath that to see how brilliant I was again. 